This is the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to the 93rd episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have a double review. We have the incredible weight of massive talent starring the one and only Nicolas Cage. Then we have The Northman directed by the one and only Robert Eggers. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy the 93rd episode of the Drive-In Podcast. All right, episode 93 of the Drive-In Podcast has arrived. This is Dr. Rowe on the horn. Shout out, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ricky Flicks, how are you this evening? Dude, we had a double feature over the weekend, bud. Movies are so back. Dude, movies. you said it. They, what a weekend. They all, like The movie theaters, there's like four movies, five movies out there grossed over double digits at the box office for uh, millions ten, over 10 million at the box office or so like movies are back i love it um also i will also just mention nick cage we talked about him a lot last week we obviously had the nick cage draft but after check it out if you haven't check it out if you haven't checked out the feed right for the driving podcast nick cage like, draft he's officially back like he was he never left like he says in the movie he never left but he's back the swag he exudes in this movie, it just makes me think there is no way that he retires anytime soon, right? He is fully back, as Ricky Flicks has mentioned. Um, we had the draft. I mean, looking back on that draft, Ricky Flicks, do you think you would include inc- uh, unbearable weight as one of those 10 roles that we drafted? It would be, it would be around 10, 9 or 10. Probably like just it's, it's a debate. It's a debate for sure. Whether you put yeah, him on there. Yeah, it's up there. It's I honestly liked his performance more than the movie. I think maybe. I don't like, know. like, like, what do you mean more than so like more than Pascal or just more than no, like, just like drafted. I like the movie or the performance. I think I like Nick Cage's performance more than I like the movie. I mean, you got to like this performance more than your Willie's Wonderland pick. Oh yeah, of course. But like, yeah, so it makes the I, list. I, that was like worthy of the pick because it's just so Nick Cage, Mister Irrelevant is, type pick, you know, yeah, where it's yeah. like so oddball, just matches up with Nick Cage. Uh, but I think before we get into the review for Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, I think we have to discuss our theater experience um, this afternoon. So Ricky Flex, you want to take it away and tell us what we were uh, subject to during our viewing? <laughs> Well, we went on a Sunday matinee, you know, one o'clock showing. So what do you get in matinees on the weekend? You get a lot of kids. All right. So we're in the back row of this theater. There's probably 10 other people in the theater, 11, 12. And then we just get a, a birthday party. Come up and take up the whole second to last row of the theater. So we're looking around. Dr. O and me are questioning, are we in the right theater? Because this movie unbearable is rated r so we're like are we in the right movie theater we check our tickets we check online 
we're in the right theater. So we're like, but we're not going to say anything. We don't want to judge this mother. It was only one parent with like 10 kids. And the uh, trailers start rolling. And the first one's like PG-13. The next one's PG-13. Top Gun Maverick. So like nothing crazy, you know. And then the trailer for men, (laughs) the Jesse Buckley movie coming out next month, comes on H24 Horror. And this mother... She knew something was up. No way was this Sonic the Hedgehog. No way was this the bad guys. So she comes back storming up the stairs and says, we got to go. And, the, and all the kids are like, what are we talking about? So she's like, we got to go. And Dr. O and me are like, what are we doing? Dr. Owen's tweeting. Dr. O's tweeting. I'm just like perplexed. What's going on? And then finally, like the kids leave and the recliners are still up and the mom's like, wait, 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 we're closing your recliners, close your recliners, grab your sodas, grab your popcorn and candy. Don't forget anything. We're not coming back. It was a sight to see, but I'm assuming they made their movie. Our movie started shortly thereafter, but that was a way to start off our unbearable way to mass talent experience. I knew it was going to be a once in a lifetime experience to see like Nick Cage on the big screen in such a meta type movie. But like when I walked into the theater, I did see like a birthday party set up. I saw a bunch of balloons and naturally I thought, okay, this is for like Sonic the Hedgehog too. That's like immediately, immediately that went the movie that came to mind. So <laughs> when we sat down and saw this row of eight year olds <laughs> with one parent sitting there, Right. That she was taking pictures. She was yes. taking pictures right before the trailer flash is going <laughs> off. I'm looking at my ticket and I'm like, is this rated R? And then I kept going to Ricky and I went to Ricky Flix's girlfriend. I'm like, this is rated R. Right. And it was to the point where Ricky Flix's girlfriend turns to uh, Sarah, if we could say her name on the podcast, turns to her right to the couple that is sitting beside us and says, this is rated R, right? And the couple next to us was like, yeah, because they were in disbelief that there was a birthday party for an R-rated Nicolas Cage meta movie. This, I literally, I, when Ricky Flix went on his soliloquy there and he went and talked about his experience, I, I had to turn off my mic because I'm crying laughing. That was insanity. And I was just like, man, like this was, this would be like me. If I if my kid wanted to have a birthday party and they didn't know anything about movies and they want to see Sonic 2, I'd be like, okay, let's tell all the parents we're going to see Sonic 2 and we're going to see the unbearable way to massive town instead. <laughs> the first scene, like they left just in time because the first scene, like a woman gets like knocked in the face and knocked out. Hard. Hard. It just made me think, what if these children saw that and they saw a couple F bombs being dropped? Like it would have made an all-time experience. I got a video of them leaving the uh, leaving the theater, but I don't think that will ever see the light of day just because I have respect for that mom who's like taking charge of 10 eight-year-olds. That might have been in the most challenging predicament she's ever faced as a parent. That was insane, Ricky. That was it insane. Was, it, was the, it was a sight to see when she was storming back up the staircase and then saying, let's go. And then I trying was- to organize the kids to get out of there. And somehow she got out of there before the movie started. Ricky Flex, Ricky Flex kept going to Sarah. He's like, go check if this is the right movie. Go, go check <laughs> if like this is like if we have the Nick Cage theater, because I don't think this is it because we have 10 eight-year-olds about to watch Nick Cage drop F-bombs left and right. 
regarding his own career. Like they know adaptation. Like they know leaving Las Vegas, raising Arizona. Like this parent was just like, screw it. Yeah. Like face off number one movie, just like Pascal's character in the movie. Just uh, Mm. let us go watch it. But that's going to be our first review of the day, Ricky Flex. Let's hop into the synopsis. We'll go into the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb, and then we will launch from there. So the synopsis reads, Nicolas Cage stars as... Nick Cage, in the action comedy The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, created creatively unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, the fictionalized version of Cage must accept a $1 million offer to, ex- to attend the birthday of a dangerous superfan played by Pedro Pascal. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when Cage is recruited by a CIA operative played by Tiffany Haddish and forces to live up to his own legend channeling his most iconic and beloved on-screen characters in order to save himself and his loved ones. With a career belt for his for this very moment, the seminal award-winning actor must take on the role of a lifetime, Nick Cage. All right? So the Rotten Tomatoes rating is at 88% with an 87% audience score. IMDb has that 7.7 out of 10. Ricky Flex, that might be the best synopsis we've ever gotten for such a simplistic type of movie. This was a simple movie, very simple comedy that I loved. It was a great movie. It was, well, I'll just say it was so enjoyable. And I guess just to start off, we were just talking about movie theater experiences. Like when we think of the movie theaters, we keep thinking of these blockbusters, franchise, comic book type movies. But at the end of the day, like these comedies still are great in theaters. And right when I left the theater, one of the thing, first things I said was, man, I wish like it wasn't a trend to just have comedies go straight to streaming. Like you see Palm Springs go straight to streaming last year or two years ago, obviously pandemic. But still, that would have gone straight to streaming no matter what, because it was a Hulu, uh, Hulu bought it. So I love comedies in theaters. And this is like the like laugh out loud to the max funny at moments. And like with a group of people, even without the eight-year-olds that make up half the the theater, it was awesome. I, I think you bring up the most enjoyable aspect of the movie. And it's not just like Nick Cage and the homages they pay to Nick Cage, but the comedy aspect, I felt like I was watching a movie in 2010, which is an amazing feeling where you had movies like 21 Jump Street coming out. You had The Hangover coming out. You have the end of the Judd Apatow run with like Will Ferrell that was like, reaching its, I guess, its end of its turn. So seeing a movie and then also crying, laughing at points where I can't contain myself, man, that was an amazing feeling. Because I feel every time we hit the theaters now, we go see a Marvel movie and we can't wait to see like the comic book references. We'll enjoy a laugh of two or three. It'll be a short, quick moment. But then, yes, we're moving on to the action sequences. When, what is the last like major motion picture you saw on screen and you laughed this, this much Ricky flux. Can you even recall? 21 jump street was something, but that was too long ago. And 22, 22. I laughed even harder. 22 was great. Um, I was cackling. Do you see game night in theaters? No, I didn't see that one in theaters, but that's it. I, but think of game night, that woman uh, is in this one, Billy Magnuson's girlfriend in that slash date therapist is in this movie. It's Nick Cage's wife. Oh my God, you're right. Is that, that's her? Oh my yeah. gosh. Good pull. I had no idea. Until yeah, you Sharon something. Um, Sharon Horgan. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
but like I'm trying to I, I kept trying to brainstorm afterwards like last time I laughed this hard at a movie I, like honestly either on streaming or in theaters because this was a pure comedy and I like at least for the sausage first, party is a good one sausage party was uh that was hilarious I saw that one in theaters so it's probably the last time I laughed this as is the hard end. as I did in this that's, movie. that's a while back yeah, it's like 2013, I think this is the end. But like we don't see movies made like this in terms of the laughs that it gives. But also I wanted to talk about like the meta aspect this movie um gives off because after Matrix Resurrections, I I did not want to see another movie that went as meta as that one did. And this one you would obviously argue it's more meta because it faces like actual Nick Cage playing Nick Cage in a Nick Cage action movie. So I was immediately, I, w- I saw the rave reviews. I was turned off by the concept a little bit, but the fact that it was Nick Cage actually participating and buying into it, I was like, okay, let's do this thing. And because they took that comedic approach to a meta type of idea compared to matrix that you, the audience was supposed to take seriously. They had these expectations set going into matrix and like the franchise that preceded that movie. I feel like this worked so much better because Nick Cage, we knew was in on the joke. He's starring in the movie about his own career Right. And he knows like the, the highs and lows it has had. And I think that made this movie and this meta approach very successful compared to like a Matrix Resurrections, because that was BS. Like Matrix, they kind of, they, in my opinion, they robbed audiences because you think of Matrix, you think of the excellent action sequences, whether it be like the first one's obviously a revelation. The second one's like, OK, it's not as good. Third one, atrocious. But you know what you're going to get to rob the audiences of what they're going to see. That's BS, but Nick Cage movie, okay, this guy's super self-aware. This movie is super self-aware, and the audience is also super self-aware before it even starts. I think it actually helped it. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I think that just like Nick Cage is the perfect person to do this type of meta movie where like his persona, the rumors, like his anger rumors, he's had five wives, like, like he's been everywhere. But what they did great is not only did they have that the right person to do that with, they actually they attacked that. They owned it really. They owned the meta aspect uh, to almost perfectly. I would say like they did a very good job at least with the Nick Cage aspect of the meta ness, of, of the meta ness of him. And I think yeah, that overall, like they just again like the way to do it is. Like in future, I hopefully we don't see too many of these because I don't see this panning out for most actors or actresses, whatever, is that you have to own it. And they did it very well. And it wasn't just, okay, yes, they have the overtness of Pedro Pascal's uh, character, who is a diehard fan. You have like a huge statue of him, of Nick Cage with the golden guns from Face Off, or you have like a bunch of like memorabilia from all his movies, but it also had the subtle homages that actually pay tribute to Nick Cage's career. So although it seems like they're disrespecting Cage a little bit because they're kind of making fun of him, they're also like recognizing how important he is to American cinema. And they even like, there's, yeah. you know, there's even a line in this movie where Nick Cage says that he's like, I made my small contribution to like, like the movies that were, have been made in the past century and things like that. But like, even just not by name, but like when they do certain scenes, they reenact, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Cause I don't think we have to spoil this movie, but they give iconic 
like almost replays of some of his movies that actually I think works super well for like fans like you and I. Because I re- think the references because like about. this movie, yes, and but like this movie could work for a diehard Nick uh, Nick Cage fan. It could work for a younger Nick Cage fan or just a casual fan. You know, I felt like you could see this movie. You have a prior knowledge to Nick Cage, and it's gonna work no matter what. I think the writers should get a lot of recognition for this because, and you could just tell they are Nick Cage fans like you and me, Ricky. It's, it's crazy. So, do you know who directed this movie and wrote it? Is it Corrigan or something? What was the Tom name? Tom Gormican. That's it. So he's <laughs> it only 14. done one other film. And it was back in, uh, I want to say 2014. And I don't even know if you'll remember this, Doctor. Last time, we mentioned this movie before, Once on the Pod. And it was in the Miles Tower debate um, race to the Oscar. And he did that awkward moment with Zac Efron. Oh, Michael B. Jordan. And Michael B. Jordan. Oh, you think I would forget that movie? It's one of the one, one of the most recognizable rom-coms of my college career. Do you know what that has on Rotten Tomatoes? I would guess 31%. 22. Okay. So this guy, bad. eight years later, gets this movie with all, like Nick Cage, meta movie, Pedro Pascal with The Mandalorian right next to him. And then you have like other, like, you know, like Tiffany Haddish. Like that's a, that's a pretty big name right now. She's been in a lot of stuff recently. Mike Barinholtz, our king. Our king, um so i don't know good for him like unreal job like this guy i don't know what he's been doing like i'll have to look it up while you go here but it's just incredible work and where like it's like where you were versus where you've been like unbelievable transformation i think something we need to discuss when it comes to names attached to this movie i saw a tweet and i'm sure you did too ricky flicks there were a couple names attached to play crazy a couple of names attached to potentially play Nick Cage in this movie, even though Nick Cage is very much alive and well. There were names attached like Daniel Day-Lewis and Christian Bale to play Nick Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Ricky Flex, would you have rather have seen either of those two instead of Nick Cage to play Nick Cage? I think if you put either of those two in, it does better at the box office, but it's not as good. Because if Christian Bale is in there, this thing is doing numbers. Yeah. Numbers. Like, and Daniel Day Lewis's return from retirement comes back from retirement to do this movie. I just, at the end of the day, like, come on. Like, they were never, like, this was going to be Ricky, Nick Cage or nothing. Ricky, I feel like if Daniel Day Lewis all of a sudden like, would attach himself to this role, they push the release to November, December. And they, Oscar. Can you imagine if Daniel Day Lewis got an Oscar for playing Nick Cage in a movie? So Daniel Day Lewis's filmography is like this mother, you know, just Daniel Day Lewis's filmography will be My Left Foot, The Last of the Mohicans, Gangs in New York, uh, There Will Be Blood, A Phantom Thread, and then The The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Like that just doesn't add up. There's no way he would have ever said yes. I don't know the details of that story, but it just like no makes me cackle. Like, um, so I was like looking at it. So like uh, Tom Gormican, whatever Gormican, he was like asked about like oh like if Nick Cage didn't do it like what was your plan B and like someone like the the uh, asker of the question the journalist at, talked about Jeff Goldblum and how like that would be like a good person to replace him or like do a sequel to this movie with Jeff Goldblum and Nick Cage, but um when it looked like Nick Cage wasn't gonna be attached to it, 
the idea was for Dana Day Lewis, but like not necessarily like they never really did anything. It was just an idea. So it never was gonna happen. I think the story just kind of ran. I think he was just like throwing that out as a joke. Like he might he might have mentioned it mentioned it to a couple yeah, people. Yeah, that's exactly what know? it is. Like it was like an, a funny idea. It wasn't anything more. Right. That. But it's just it's just funny to discuss. And that that type of tweet is made for podcasters like you and I, Ricky Flicks, where they want us to talk about that. Right. Get this movie, uh, get in the in recognition for this movie, makes people go see it. Right. And uh so continuing on with the meta approach, we'll go into Nick Cage's performance here and how much he devoted to the role. So I got, we're big Nick Cage fans. We had the Nick Cage draft. This movie I'm about to mention, it made an appearance on the draft. But when I saw this movie, what kept popping up in my head was the movie adaptation uh, starring Nick Cage a lesser known Nick Cage movie, but still one he was nominated for an Oscar for a Charlie Kaufman written film directed by Spike Jones. Why I kept thinking about this movie is not just because Nick Cage, like he plays a couple roles in this movie is that adaptation. Like it's about Charlie Kaufman writing himself out of writer's block, right? It's where he feels like he's not relevant. He's writing so that, Okay, like he wants like to progress with his career, follow up his Oscar, okay, and maintain like recognition and notoriety within the community. So this movie, I don't know, it just felt like Nick Cage is so self-aware in this movie. He's willing to insert himself as the main character. And he's, as we said before, when we did the uh, Nick Cage draft, he's going from a place of a lull, which is like basically 2000s and on, he had Pig that came out recently into the Spider-Verse that came out recently. It's like him propelling himself back into the Hollywood conversation and making himself relevant again. So why I guess I go against like adaptation, it's just like very meta. And it's also an artist recognizing what they need to do, all right, to propel themselves in the conversation. Did you ever have that type of thought when you're watching this movie? Yeah, no, I, I, the adaptation thought did enter my mind being John Malkovich, another Charlie Kaufman written movie. Um, and to meta, my meta, mind meta. as well, very meta, but that's when John Malkovich was like in his peak. Like that was two years after Rounders, a year after Con Air, and then he's doing being John Malkovich. So that was like the other movie that came into my mind. But yeah, like I think Nick Cage, like Mandy 2018, another one, like he's the Croods and Croods 2. Like he's he's been in Hollywood. I just think this movie him being in a mainstream movie like pig wasn't mainstream nope right so like this is like the first non-animated mainstream movie that he's done since like national treasure book of secrets and it's successful too you know critically critically successful right box office this is the biggest laggard uh, of the weekend compared to everything else that came out this weekend or last weekend tough competition yeah so oh we made seven and a half million this weekend Pre, uh, Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's the Northman made 12 and a half. Tough for the Northman as well. But like other movies, like killed it. And Sonic killed it. The bad guys killed it like 25 million this weekend. So just that's not wow. a good look. But still, him next to Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, Tiffany Haddish, she's always like in these big, like she's just, like I said earlier, she's relevant. Like that's just good for Nick Cage because now he's like, this like kind of cements that he's back. Yeah especially if he makes a movie about himself in the age of 2022 that shows he's, he's definitely relevant, you know? And so like he, throughout the movie, he seems like he achieves like, his goal. 
and throughout the movie, like him and like Neil Patrick Harris would just keep commenting, like, I'm like, I've always been back. Like, that he, they kept saying it, and they, that's why that's this the movie's theme. so meta. Like, he's back, but like, he's always been here because he keeps making movies. And they even commented towards like all the movies he makes that aren't very good or VOD. Like, he even said it in this movie. He's like, I'm an actor. It's my job. Like, you have a job. You go to work. I like to make movies. So I go to work. That's just what you do. I'm not one of those actors that just take breaks that's basically what he was saying in this movie and i love that because it kind of it's like also meta where it's like kind of explaining where he's been and where, right. what he's going to keep doing so he's going to keep on doing these vod movies probably but he's also going to splash into like the pigs and then these which i love damn and he's a producer on this movie you think he has some inner workings on the script and what was going to be portrayed Definitely. on screen Definitely. and like you're right ricky and now you're saying it it's got my mind buzzing it's you got the fact that they're talking about the potential, like, okay, he wants to be in this movie, but does he have actually the, um, do like these directors want him in these movies, but there's also the aspect of, oh, he's also low on money. He's in debt. You know, there was rumors circulating for so long that he was doing a lot of these cheaper move, like these cheaper made movies with these low level directors because he had to. And like this movie wasn't afraid to say, oh, yep, he's in debt right now. He's doing this. It felt very self-reflective on his career, you know? And so, I mean, it's going to be crazy because this movie, like when it ends, like, I don't think it's a spoiler. I I won't, I guess it'll be spoiler alert, I guess. But like he is successful in the end and like his prospects look amazing for his career. Like, I can't wait to see what he's going to do after this movie. And that's the question I'm going to ask you in terms of roles that like you would like to see Nick Cage take on in the future. But before we go on to that, let's talk about Pedro Pascal, his uh, co-star in this movie. Oh, sorry. I will just say, just kind of wrap this up, just saying that he's back, is that news broke yesterday that the face-off reboot that we've talked about. Right, I saw this, yeah. So he wasn't initially wanted to be a part of it, and now it's been confirmed by the man himself, Nick Cage, that He's in, in, he's interested. He's in talks. He talked to Neil Moritz, like the producer of the original Face Off, and he said that he he said this yesterday, Saturday, uh, the twenty third of April, saying that he liked working with him. One of the he said he's one of the great producers in Hollywood, in Hollywood, and they've been making some calls. He said, and Adam Wingard, the director of uh, Godzilla versus Kong, yep. he's like attached to direct it. I'm just I'm just we haven't talked about this in a while. But now this form, this news is formulating, and I know we don't have the checkup till tomorrow, so stay tuned. But again, like face-off sequel, more meta type, like kind of role. Like twenty years later, we're doing a meta. Yeah, we'll but, see. Like it's gonna be, it's got to be overtly comedic, and you know, it's it's gotta be. Yeah, but um, and then going off what you're saying with Pedro Pascal, um, he was good in this. He was good. I I didn't like. He didn't like knock my socks off or anything uh-huh. like this. This movie is not like knock your socks off. Like, holy crap. Look at this acting. This is just like a funny movie. And he was very funny. He was just a very funny dude next to Nick Cage and being a Nick Cage super fan. I think when it comes to Pedro Pascal, he played this perfectly because right. We talk about the meta aspect, like Pedro Pascal is arguably like a top five biggest actor on the planet right now. 
when you talk about the Mandalorian, right? It's popularity within the Star Wars franchise, maybe top 10, the top five is pretty extreme, mm. but it's just the fact that he's a super fan of Nick Cage. And like, he knows like how silly that sounds, but I think he also recognizes what Nick Cage has done for Hollywood. And I think he plays it like, like tone wise. It's perfect. Like, like, like I think he stole quite a few scenes from Nick Cage. He doesn't have the edge on Nick Cage, in my opinion, because I feel like every time Nick Cage spoke in this movie, I was about to cackle. Like it was just hilarious the way his self-awareness in the role paired with the great chemistry with Pedro Pascal this movie was so damn enjoyable to watch. So Pedro Pascal, big fan. I can't say I was as huge of a fan of the rest of the cast just because it wasn't about them. Like Tiffany Haddish, like I I, I don't mind her. I think she can be, she can be very funny and she definitely had the lead over Ike Barinholtz here, but I feel like they just, they didn't give them a lot to work with and Tiffany Haddish made the most of it. Ike Barinholtz, I felt bad. It's like, this is our guy. One of our favorite like, comedic actors. He gave he had nothing but just dropping f bombs the entire movie. So that was my one of my big flaws of the movie is that third storyline, the FBI storyline. I thought was terrible. I thought they did a terrible job with that. Me too. I don't think Tiffany Haddish was bad, but she I wasn't bad. I, I thought she was pretty good. Give her much to do. Yeah, and like Barinholtz, like he's probably the funniest guy in this movie, and he was very funny, like saying. Like Moonstruck, like Croods. Like I'm a 44 year old man. I don't watch Croods. He probably like that was. I was laughing out loud on that one. But uh, yeah, they just didn't give them the le- the time they just they should have gotten at least for a huge storyline in this movie. And the their ending is terrible. Like absolutely like rushed and just pieced way, together. Yeah, just very did not clean at all. Uh, mismanaged for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that. And I, I just, one more thing with Pedro Pascal is that like, again, Game of Thrones, Oberyn 2014. And now he's the Mandalorian and doing now he's next to Nick Cage, like his, and he was also in Wonder Woman 1984. Right. So, and uh, Kingsman golden circle. He's in the sequel to Kingsman. So yeah. So one like, of the most franchisable actors that's going right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like top 10, like that is like, that's crazy kind of to say. Wonder Woman. Star though. Wars behind you and Wonder Woman, even though like that was like the wor- worst, one of the worst. We should do, like, we, I think we did a top thing, the best movies of last year. We should have done some of the worst movies. Like that. Save like, that. Save that. Or like, oh. But um, yeah, like just his career is like, whoa. It has triple, oh, what was it? Uh, what was the other movie? Oh, no, Narcos. Oh, crap. He was in Narcos. Right. But he's so versatile. And the fact that he took this movie, it just makes me think he is, he feels like nothing's going to stop him right now. Like he can do anything he wants and it's going to be praised. And then to be able to show the comedic chops in this movie that he hasn't shown anywhere else just adds to like to his arsenal, to his utility belt, man. You know? And I would love to see him and Nick Cage do another project together after watching this. It was something less meta and just like them just going in together as partners. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Maybe a cop movie, uh, buddy cop movie or something like that. Some of these detectives, similar to like a narcos, but like with comedy. I don't know. But uh no, at the end of the day, this movie was awesome, very fun. I do think like 88, 89% of Rotten Tomatoes is like absurdly high. That's high. I think uh, for this movie, I'm shocked that critically it's doing so well. But at the end of the day, I did love it. Great movie theater movie, great movie in general to watch. One of the funniest movies I've seen in a while. 
and that's because of the meta-ness as well but as well like some of these jokes hit like the egg baron host joke that we just said some of these jokes did hit of course there's this cringeworthy moments and- not many not many i was expecting a lot but there was like I, I think there was moments where i was like okay that didn't hit as hard but there wasn't a moment where i'm like okay this shouldn't have included that you know i think that's yeah. a difference there. and yeah okay i agree i agree um there was some some of the minor storylines but still major like didn't really hit hard for me um and there's definitely some bad editing scene jumps but at the end of the day this movie's fun throw the score out at this point go ahead 70 wow jeez i i went with the 78 i went with the 78 on this movie like enjoy like entertaining theater experience i highly recommend anyone to go see this movie to like it doesn't really matter your level of nick cage fandom but the third act is abysmal. In this movie. Yeah. It's really bad. It, it really falls apart. Um, but before we move on to our next review, Ricky Flex, I do want to ask, like, what do you want to see Nick Cage do after this movie? What would you like to see happen? Who do you want to see him work with? We mentioned face-off. Face-off sequel. So that would be great. Um, hmm. I would like to see, so like, obviously we have Killers of the Flower Moon coming this year. So like Leo movie, but I could picture Nick Cage like reuniting with a Scorsese. That would be something to work a decade of working with like, like these Willie's Wonderland. I just want to see him back with a critically successful director. So he's worked with Scorsese before Coen brothers get back with the Coen brothers. Like do something. Yeah, like- I like that Coen brothers, and Nick Cage reunion. That would be electric. Give yeah. Me that. I think, that would be awesome if he like got back. So like, I know you're probably thinking like actors, but I'm more thinking like filmmakers. Cause that's what I'm at a Wingard, like still like Godzilla Khan. Like, like, although we talked, we're going to talk about uh, Alexander Skarsgård who just like, re- like yeah, had a movie a with game. Wingard, but like, he's an action film director. I would like to see Nick Cage get away from like that, that nineties type of filmmaking, like the rock face off, you know, I would like to see him actually work with Tarantino. Oh, that would be amazing. Like like him, like like coming full circle with this comeback tour. And then Tarantino is going to write him the most perfect Nick Cage rule. The guy who's such a fan of cinema and a fan of actors that have, who have contributed so much, like he would write him something fire for his last movie. Like, can you imagine if Nick Cage was the lead for Tarantino's last movie? But like, that's like, <laughs> what Tarantino does, he brings people back. But can you imagine that? His last movie, he chooses Nick Cage as the lead. That would be nuts. Nuts. Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Man, like there were some be, there were some good. rumors before, like when uh Unbearable Weight was coming out, that the uh synopsis was gonna be uh Nick Cage is up for a Tarantino movie. Yeah, I did I remember, remember seeing that? that. I do remember that. So they kind of like they bailed on that whole like idea and concept, but it made me think like, man, what if after the movie that he is like as a meta movie, he's up for a Tarantino part. He ends up getting the last lead role in a Tarantino movie. That would be freaking unbelievable. Right. That would be amazing. That would be perfect. All right. So a 70 from Ricky Flex. Ricky, that's a little low, but based on what I was thinking. I, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm not just judging based like if we're just going off of love, I love this movie. I would give yeah. it like 90. Like, but you gotta look at it as well. Put together. Movie. Like it just wasn't put together like very well. The it first the first bad. two acts, I think, were, but that it's when the family got involved a little bit. That's the other one. Happened. The FBI storyline, 
the family storyline. Right. Did not like Ethram. The main storyline, very good. And the, the, very buddy, well. the buddy aspect was so good in this movie. The Pascal there's a, and Nick Cage. That was the strongest interview. aspect yeah. of the movie. There's an IMDb interview, like five-minute video. And Nick Cage describes like the five roles or five buddy comedies that he looked at um, before like doing this film that he wanted to kind of like put together. I forget some of them, but like one of them was like Blazing Saddles. You know? yeah, that's perfect. Um, and, a, and a bunch of others that are really good. One, another one was 48 Hours, Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Like he, he like he looked at these five and it was like, these are like the five that I'm looking at. Um, definitely check that out. It's only five minutes. And there's like good montage of video like of those movies and the buddy comedies. And it's good. You could definitely see like the results from that research and like, definitely pays off. So that's going to do it for our review for unbearable weight of massive talent. Let's now move on to our review of Robert Eggers new film, the Northman. Now let's move on to the box office king of the weekend, The Northman, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Ethan Hawke, Nicole Kidman, all right, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, probably like the most in-demand actress in Hollywood right now. Uh, we're going to give you the synopsis here. So Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Amleth is now a, a Viking who's on a mission to save his mother, kill his uncle, and avenge his father. Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at 89% on the critic score, 67% on the audience score, with a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Ricky Flicks, before we start talking about this movie, I mentioned uh, numerous times before we started talking, before I introduced this segment. Robert Eggers. Like, what do you think of with a Robert Eggers film? Like, what are you expecting when you walk into a theater? We're getting wacky. Oh, yeah. We're getting serious, but we're getting wacky. Like, I like scary at the same time, but like not to an extent of horror, just like that intensity that goes along with that. Like, what the heck is about to happen? I'm a little scared and it's going to get maybe a little gory too. And this one delivered. <laughs> it delivered on all those accounts. And, uh, this movie was awesome. At the end of the day, this movie was awesome. But I will say this movie got a little too wacky for me with the Viking uh, historical stuff. I know like some people will love it. Like our, our brother, Big Mike. I bet Oh, this is up his alley, dude. Probably, <laughs> his, his wackiness meter is probably like he or uh, his like, to, like his uh, score will probably be close to 100 with this movie. He probably no, loves this. Like Big Mike loves like the Lord of the Rings he loves the Game of Thrones and he loves like Norse mythology. So it lines up perfectly with this type of movie. Um, what, why I ask you this, Ricky Flex, is because when you look at Robert Eggers' movies, what you notice, their critics, his critic scores are always like exponentially high. Like we're talking about 80s and plus. Like The Witch, I think, is at like mid 70s, but you have The Lighthouse is like hitting low 90s. Then you have Northman high 80s, but the audience scores always a little bit lower why is that the case is it because they don't get it or is it because like they're turned off by what it's, robert Eggers is put on film what's the reason so just i think it's a part of 
with Robert Eggers saying like, oh, he'll never do a 21st century film because that's like the only time period he's not interested in. He's got to do the research. He's got to be a historian. And he's got to get these like historic facts down, like what these people would actually do. Like in The Northman, these people would actually like dance around and wearing bear costumes, these berserkers, and just like go crazy. But like, like be very weird about it. And like we're dance, but then like go on their hands and knees and suck on each other's farts and whatever. <laughs> like that stuff. Audiences like I didn't like it. I thought it was weird. I was laughing, but at the same time, I was like, this is freaking weird man like what the hell does this have to do with anything it's just explaining like how devoted these people are to their like religions religions and stuff like that so i think that's why like people just get turned off by that like me but at the end of the day like i love this movie with uh that methodology mythology sorry um because that's what drove the movie not necessarily the not just the revenge aspect of it and i love that so yes i got turned off by this wackiness similar to these audience scores but not to the same extent I think people were drawn to this movie because of how good everyone looked in it. I think Skarsgård, the way he looks in it, it looks like he's like an 80s level action star Insane. by how much he was juicing. Insane. But, but like when you throw the names like Ethan Hawke, Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy, it automatically makes this movie watchable. And then you have Anya Taylor-Joy once, once again reuniting with uh, Robert Eggers following her like breakthrough performance with The Witch. I think Robert Eggers is like a victim of caring too much about like historical accuracy. I feel like people are thrown off by what he throws in his movies because he wants to make it like so realistic and great and ingrain the audience with we what's love. happening, which right. is a good thing, right? It sets you in the setting. It gets you in the setting, right? It's too much like repetitive with the set there, but I think it also throws them off. Like I, I, we left the theater and the first thing I said to you, Ricky Flex was I feel like that Robert Eggers is trying to hypnotize me while watching this movie. I feel like that's a goal of his with the way like the rituals that happened during the movie, but also the, um, the lighting of his shots. Okay. The grand scale of these shots. It feels like he's trying to mess with my mind a little bit. Personally. I love that because it's giving a perspective that not a lot of, or uh, it gives off an energy. Not a lot of like directors are able to do. And I feel like he just has like this innate ability. He's like, he's a young director too. And I'm going to talk about him, like compared to like young guys, like the Safties, what separates them from this like older genre of directors, but Robert Eggers turning forth also a big budget film, a $90 million budget with a big studio behind it. We have focused features here compared to his last two films with uh, a 24 uh, working on the lighthouse and the witch. Did you sense that this was a more big budget production compared to his, his previous two projects? Without a doubt, just the setting itself. We had mm. a volcano fight scene. We had battles. <laughs> that we just had, tells you. We had, we had, we had battle, like literal battles with a hundred people, minimum fighting soldiers. So just the action scenes in this, you could see where the money went and just the actual setting, the lighting, like, the lighting in these in these mountains must be so hard to get right, especially when half the movie's in the dark. So definitely, you can see where the budget came in here. And I just again, like I, when you were saying, like when you said the budget, I was just shaking my head um, because I feel bad because this movie deserves to like deserves a hundred million dollars, like easy, in the first like first two weekends combined minimum. I and feel it's only made twelve and a half. I, 
I do feel that if this movie comes out in the mid 2000s, it absolutely slays. It probably makes 500 minimum. And the way that Robert Eggers would never say this, but like the way we view it in this age of like superheroes and uh, major IP, I think he wanted the Northmen to be this generation's Braveheart or this generation's gladiator, where it's like one person on this major odyssey, odyssey in a historical setting with a big name actor and a big cast, um, just an epic type of film that people latch onto. I feel like it just doesn't fit in this day and age with cinemas, which is sad because I feel like this came out in the mid 2000s. The challenges, like if it comes a couple years after Gladiator. And depending on when it's released, it's like a best picture contender, if you know what I'm saying. I, I think so. I think you're right. Um, I would just also say not only with the wackiness, but also like Gladiator. Like like this at the end of the day, this movie's simple. Revenge story, there's a couple of twists and turns. It is. But like this movie is simple at the end of the day. But the problem is the wackiness factor, all this stuff within uh uh the mytho- mythology here and just all the visions and things like that, just getting you, like like you said, hypnotizing you as an audience member. And then, like, you couldn't understand sometimes. Like, they were speaking English, but, like, they were still talking so softly and mumbling a lot. It's like, what are they saying? But then you understand throughout their actions, like, oh, that's what they must have said. So mm-hmm. it's like, again, it's a simple story, but, like, in Gladiator, you could understand everything Russell Crowe is saying, Joaquin Phoenix is saying. Like, you could understand everything that's going on. I think that's just the biggest difference with these period pieces. They're- there are a couple scenes where Eggers could have taken it out and like people still would have understood what's going on. Yeah. I think that's the big thing, but it's the fact that he is Robert Eggers. He's going to engrave you. He's got to be true to the his... like, actual what happened. Right. He, he needs to be fully. I mean, he's got to fully ingrain audiences. I, I think that's the most important thing to him. And I think he does an excellent job, whether it makes it for an enjoyable experience for audiences. That's a whole nother discussion. But I want to talk about Alexander Skarsgård because other than, I think he is the most, it's, he's the focal point of discussion in this movie. It's not Eggers. It's not any of the supporting cast, right? It's not the fact that this was in theaters rather than streaming. The big takeaway for me was Alexander Skarsgård. Um, way I look at him, we, I was watching back a clip we had Ricky flicks and we talked about the Northmen potentially being the most anticipated movie of 2022. Uh, I drafted it first round. I believe yeah, you got that wrong in the blog, by the way, but I drafted it first round. You took the Batman. Right. I took the Northman. Yeah. And then you took kills the flower moon third. And then I took, uh, ah, no, sorry. No. Cause I actually had a different blog that I actually wrote most anticipated movies that was separate from the draft Got it. but i will edit the blog to make sure i get no, it's the facts straight but when it comes out we, we talked about how big of a movie this was for Skarsgård because he was coming off a year of 2021 with succession as matson is like the standout character guest appearance probably gonna have a prevalent um a role in the next season of succession he's the male lead in passing which was supposed to be an awards uh, type of movie it did fairly well uh didn't get any notoriety at the oscars he wasn't in it as much as i would have liked but he was good in it i do feel like he's his career is on a major major upward trajectory right now it's going he's launching right now because we thought it was at a low point with the legend of tarzan and that was supposed to be his big break. The movie flops starring alongside Margot Robbie and a villainous Christoph Waltz. You would think that adds up to Samuel Jackson. It adds up to right success, but it didn't for him. And the way that he's going right now, it makes me think like 
I want to compare him to somebody, Ricky Fuchs, and I want to hear your opinion. I feel like you put these guys side by side, similar actors, but just opposite trajectories right now. Skarsgård versus Charlie Hunnam. Like Charlie Hunnam, I just saw on net on Netflix. He's got the King Arthur Legend of the Sword, who's leaving on April 30th. And then I feel like at this point, this is when Legend of Tarzan came out, right? With Skarsgård. Hunnam, his career has kind of gone downhill. Yes, he had a, a notable role in The Gentleman, but could you tell me what he's doing right now? That's a notable, that's a note. And I would say no. And if I look at Skarsgård, I see the way his career has kind of taking off, taken off and how he's kind of overcome the legend of Tarzan. He's kind of the antithesis of Charlie Hunnam. Do you, do you understand like what I'm saying there in that comparison? Yeah, I understand because like, like Skarsgård, how did he get his big break really for the legend of Tarzan? The true blood. Like, true blood. Like Charlie Hunnam, where did he get his big break? One of the greatest television shows of all time. Sons of Anarchy. Seems right. Like going even deeper. Is freaking incredible. Um, I don't hate that. Um, I just think that Charlie Hunnam this is going to be tough for me to say. He's just like Skarsgård when he's on his game. He is, I don't know, he's in, like in this movie, he's an incredible actor. He is, right? Um, he, he's volatile as seen Legend of Tarzan here. Um, Charlie Hunnam, he hasn't like he's great as Jax Teller, like one of the best characters in anything ever is Jax Teller. But he he's too attached to that still. He never rebounded after the failure of King Arthur. Never, never rebounded. Never. He's stuck with Guy Ritchie, though. So he's like, that's another problem. He's stuck with Guy Ritchie. I think he's doing another Guy Ritchie movie. I'll have to confirm that. But I think he's doing another one with him. Um, I don't but remember I, what I, it the is. The difference is, like, Skarsgård, he noticed he failed earlier. And then he's coming back with a Robert Eggers. He's built himself up to be able to star in a Robert Eggers film. He also produced this film. He put his heart and soul into this movie. You could tell this from watching it, but like I literally, like he didn't have that much dialogue in this movie, but physically, I don't think I've ever seen an actor put this much effort physically into a role since Leo and the Revenant. I literally think that. I, I, I completely agree with you. Or Joaquin and, and Joker. I think I agree with you. Like there was like a Christian Bale, like machinist, like a lot, like there's a lot of roles that we could talk about doing that. And he's success. getting rocking, like getting absolutely yoked out of his mind. I, 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 in a, I, in a, I wrote a, down here just to make sure I, I remember here. I think this is the best yoked actor we've ever seen. <laughs> he was and great. Like, and not like power, like, like, I'm not counting like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone, like actual like body builders. Like right. I'm talking just actors. This is the best. Better than Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Chris Evans as Captain America, Michael B. Jordan, Creed, um, Christian Bale, Batman. Like this is the best. He, it is insane. He did not get juiced for a superhero movie. He's not working with Marvel, DC, Fast and Furious, Jurassic Wolverine. Park. Wolverine. He's getting this yoked for a movie that he is producing himself alongside Robert Eggers. This movie is not going to make a couple hundred million dollars at the box office. He is doing this they because he that cares though. so much about this movie. And yes, he's going to look phenomenal. But the fact that he was so committed to making this movie successful, it makes me think I have like high prospects for Skarsgård in the future. 
And I would love to see him work alongside another great director like Skarsgård if he's going to put the effort like he did in this movie. Dude, he was so jacked that when he was running, it looked like he was walking. He was carrying so much weight. He looked like he was speed walking. And he was absolutely ferocious in this movie. His finishes in this movie, I felt like I was watching Mortal Kombat. It was insane. Epic. Like, this movie, like... I'm not going to say this movie's epic, but like his scene, like it, the action sequences are epic. And just to go back to Skarsgård here, I think like he, this is his passion project, clearly producer. He's very passionate about it. He was very adamant that like Hamlet, because everyone's saying like this is based on Hamlet. Yeah, but Hamlet's based on this, technically. Yes, this is the Shakespeare line. wrote it, yeah. like wrote Hamlet, like based off the like this myth, like this Scandinavian myth. Viking. Yeah, like story. I, I wrote it down. It's called um Saxo Grammaticus Prince Hamlet of Jutland. That's some Robert Eggers level research right yeah. there, Ricky Flex. Um, and that's in the 12th century, but Robert Eggers uh, went to the 9th century instead. But why why do I say that? First off, Hamlet is his name, Hamlet. Yeah, just put the H to the end, Hamlet. That's what Hamlet did. I mean, Shakespeare. But um, Skarsgård was adamant about saying that. Like, he's adamant about talking about this mythology. Like, adamant talking about this project. Just the historical importance of it. Similar to what Robert Eggers has done. So now he has his passion project out of the way. This is a huge success for him. I think he's an A-lister now. That's, this was so big for he's him. He's an A-lister. Like, to, to have... The game this critical success and to be given the credit for how much he's given to the movie itself. Like this sky's the limit for this dude. Right. And he comes from like a long lineage of successful, like Hollywood actors, his brother is very successful. And he has proven that he can carry the lead in a, in a cast that includes name or Oscar winners like Nicole Kidman, Oscar nominees like Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe and up and comers like Anya Taylor-Joy. He was the scene stealer By in far. this movie as the lead. It's not like someone was robbing him of those moments. Like it was him and everybody else. Yeah. And like, it's not like a supporting character, like in a movie, like Brad Pitt once upon a time, like he like sometimes like would steal the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, this wasn't like that. All the supporting characters like were good. But it's not like when they were off doing their thing. Like Anya Taylor Joy did have like one scene. I was like, "Oh, that's that's that, that's that's impressive." But like at the end of the day, it's like this was his movie by far and away. He dominated, and he like beat expectations, even though they were sky high. He he did everything to the max. He's an A-lister now. Now just going back to the Charlie Hunnam thing. So he's not doing a, a Guy Ritchie movie. I bet he will in the future. But his next movie. Do you know what his next movie is? No idea. And he's the star. He's the star. He's doing Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder. Oh, he's the lead in Rebel Moon? He's, he's one of the leads. I, I can not see gonna... that. I can see so that, though. that's just the difference here. Robert Eggers, Zack Snyder. No offense, Snyder loves Zack Snyder. Obviously, you're still the Snyderverse, but, like, that's the difference. It's going to take a, a major transformation for Charlie Hunnam to rehabilitate who he yeah. is. And, like, and that's what Skarsgård did here, dude. He is yeah. my – I wrote a uh, review – Quick initial reactions to the Northman on the drive-in pod website. Make sure you check it out. I'll link it uh, whenever you click on this uh, podcast, but he is no longer a human dude. The way he is walking, his hands are cupped like an ape. He howls at the moon. He growls and drools at any enemies. He is not a human being. I will never look at Alexander Skarsgård the same anymore after this movie. He was a different breed. He's not a human. He was Louis Beowulf. 
It was a yes! wolf and a bear. Yes. He was, he was Beowulf because he was a berserker bear and he was a wolf. Right. Literally, like, like he would growl at these wolves and these wolves would get, like, run away from him. That's how scary it was. Exactly. Insane You're right. acting. Like, I, the I, actual acting of it was like, holy crap, I believe. It's like, on a different level, dude. I was not a human being. Like, That's just flat if out. If you, like, this might be a take. Uh oh. Oscar nom? Like, if this came <laughs> out in December, dude, this was something, man. Like, I know, like, these Russell Crowe won for Gladiator. Mel this Gibson is, won for Braveheart. This is so this, much harder. If this came out in November or December. This dude should get a nomination based on Oscar history because I, that performance, I get it. Of the year. I get it. Like, you have the great monologues from. Russell Crowe and Gladiator and Mel Gibson there and Braveheart. But this is a transformation that is better than both of those. This is is, by far, dude, this literally was a bear and a wolf like at points, but not like I I mentioned to you that movie when like the guy literally thinks he's a wolf or whatever. It's not like that, the movie Wolf or something. Jack Nicholson? No. Oh, oh God. Uh, Not that one. Oh, you're thinking uh, about George George, McKay. Thank you. Um, No, but like this movie literally had it all. It was a whole... Like you talked about utility belt. Like this is, he put out the whole utility belt here. Everything, absolutely everything was shown here that you ever want to see, like looking at an actor and his, and their resume. It's incredible what he did. And the only thing I would say that didn't happen was comedy, obviously. And guess what? The Academy doesn't love, like doesn't usually not didn't belong in this comedies. movie. Yeah. So it's just, I'm still blown away by Skarsgård. I, I honestly think best performance of the year by a mile. And like, if you look at the movies coming out, like a lot of them are blockbuster types, right? Um, but for male acting, male, male leads here, not superheroes, it's like, what do you got? Like coming, you have to wait till November, December for like Kills of the Flower Moon and things like that. You just got to hope this carries, you know, over like this next it couple won't. months. And it did yeah. terrible at the box office. Again, like I said, so it's but he won't. Eggers movies they usually don't carry over into like award season like the lighthouse sort of did i don't think defoe got a nomination but it got one for uh cinematography yeah i, I know pattinson right. didn't pattinson did no. not get one maybe defoe did i think i but, think he actually did but i just showed i think eggers doesn't really care about that crap you know he's just like okay i'm just gonna release this movie now it's already been like over a year the northman um, what I did want to talk about is the other members of the supporting cast, because although like Sarsgaard was on another level, I do think the other supporting cast members for this movie were also unbelievable. They were so good. I thought Ethan Hawke, I don't think it's a spoiler to say he doesn't make, um, it's in the trailer, a large appearance in this movie, very limited screen time, but it's kind of crazy that Ethan Hawke was this dude that we know from romantic dramas, like before sunset, like after sunset, before midnight. I don't even know what the names of the movies are at this point, but him going from there, he's in Moon Knight as the villain. And now we have him as a Viking King. It seems like he's just like having more fun with the roles and that he's selecting. And I think the look of him in this movie was incredible. Like I just believed he was a Viking King. He looks so natural as a Viking King. His hair was on point the way he spoke, his tone, everything. I think he absolutely nailed it off the bench in this movie. Like he, 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 
In the 15 minutes he had, he stole the 15 minutes. He was the best actor I saw in that time. The first act, he carried the first act and he did it very well. You you believed it. It's just that in my mind throughout watching, I'm like, God dang, Skarsgård like, is obviously his son, right? Uh, from the trailers here um, in the advertising. It's just like, dude, like he's like a foot taller than Ethan Hawke. <laughs> like, that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, how is this guy his son? By the end of the day, who cares? Um, no, Ethan Hawke, incredible. The look, incredible. And again, you mentioned what he's doing right now. Dude, this guy's Moon Knight. He's in this. The Black Phone coming out later this year. Um, it hasn't come out yet. That's got that must have come out. No, dude. I think it comes out this year. I like saw that trailer a zillion times and it went away. That must have I know because Blum is a Blumhouse production, so they I get pushed they back. It away. Yeah, I think they just pushed it back. Oh my god! Um, it, I think it comes. You're I right. Think it comes out in May. Like so, like he's more- doing these, and then he's doing Knives Out too. Dude, he's like doing these character roles rather than just Very like weird playing himself. I, I love, love it. it. I love yeah. it. He's pushing himself. This is good. It's a whole different Ethan Hawk. If we want to see him, like take it to the next level. It seems like he's gotten over the fact that Hollywood has changed. Movies have changed. What hit theaters, what hits theaters and what audiences want to see. He's buying in and he completely owed it in this movie. I think Ethan Hawk, like he is. Talk about relevance, like with Nick Cage earlier, resurging. Like he is resurging, so he's now familiar with younger audiences. After older audiences, we automatically associate with things like Dead Poets Society and then uh, Training Day, right? And how he's like, okay, MCU, Robert Eggers film, okay, Blumhouse Productions, like horror movie. Like, yeah, you love he, to see it. And you're still going to see him like in these, like before sunset type movies or like maybe – like he's going to be the lead in um, a movie with Marshall Ali and Julia Roberts and Kevin Bacon, um, leave yeah. the world behind. So like that's filming right now. Now I'm not sure if that will be an Oscar movie, but you have Marshall Ali arguably the best actor on the planet right now, like in the movie. So, and he, everything he's in is considered like critically successful. So like, yeah. it's just interesting to take a turn for him. And then I guess just make it a quick pivot here. Like Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Talk about Nicole Kidman. I think when she makes, I won't spoil anything, but third act, impressive. She's <laughs> show, it showed like, yup, she can still act. And not just impersonate like in Lucille Ball, who definitely controversial, um, like or uh, polarizing uh, performance there. Some people liked her, some people didn't. I personally thought she was okay. I thought she was decent here, there. But here it's like when she, this third act came, came along and she came into the picture more, it was like, okay, that's where the good acting is because in the first act and the second act, I was questioning myself a little bit. It wasn't that she was bad. It's just not necessarily like, again, you're seeing Skarsgård just take over. So it's tough to like go up to that, but then it's like, Oh, yep. That makes sense. These actors take advantage when they're given the screen time. Nicole Kidman, when she's given her time in the second half of the movie slays Anya Taylor joy, when she's given her opportunity, her one-on-one with the camera slays Ethan Hawke, same thing we just discussed. It seems like this supporting cast, even Bjork as yep. a witch, like they knew when, to, like Eggers knows when they're going to take over the movie. And then the fact that he can lay off a bit, let them just do their thing. I think that actually helped the movie uh, substantially. So just like having Skarsgård, the movie gets okay. You can back off a little bit on him because he's absolutely dominating right now. Give him a little rest. Okay, let's spread the wealth a little bit. Overall, this cast was unbelievable. I, re- I really yeah, did. Great cast. Um, great cast. Moving on, Ricky Flix. Um, did you think it was too lenient on the Norse mythology? Do you think that kind of detracted from your experience or did you kind of Maybe get over lenient. it? So like it, 
felt like you had to have some type of understanding of Norse mythology going into the movie to fully I, understand. I saw you write that, and I disagree. And it's because I know nothing about about it, but I know a little. I I've read Hamlet, school English class, sadly. Um, I just think at the end of the day, it makes sense. Like Valhalla, like who doesn't know? Like Bahala? the terminology and everything. Did you like the I berserkers guess, like, you brought I, out, like turning into bears and things like that? Different gods. You think that actually I guess, needed to know? I guess a, like a quick note card, index card of just like <laughs> you write out, you write your own note card. And like you know, like you study for wordly like, wise. You study up. for wordly wise, and you have like a Quizlet. Like yeah. it's like you need like a Quizlet. Uh, your, like your, what's your a berserker? Te- your teacher then, gives you a note card to study for the test, and you can have it on your desk. That's you watching right. the north. Because like, because like, um, the reason why I say like I'm I'm not in that boat, even though I just said I was, I guess a little bit, but like not in the boat where you're reading all these essays about like, oh, what was ninth century Norway like or Iceland like, you know? I'm more just like, no, this movie's simple. It's a revenge story. and these Don't overcomplicate driven, it. Yeah, and these people are driven by like what they believe is their destiny, their religion, their gods, their um, their fate. And you see that in Skarsgård here. You see that in all these characters is that, no, this is like, I was told I'm going to die like this or I'm told like I'm going to live like this or something like that. And, and then it's just happen. like them. And then it's just like, what the journey's like and the twists and turns but they eventually get there like this movie is like if you know hamlet you know what's going to happen it's a prophecy you know yeah it's exactly and again like that just keep it simple keep it simple yeah so i I think that has to do with i don't want to say like he was influenced by uh a big budget or anything like that talking about eggers here where it's like okay you can do your norse mythology thing just make sure that you keep it understandable for all audiences i feel like this was a24 he might have just like leaned so much into the norse mythology they might have said they might have said do whatever you want like you have full control the fact that it was like focus features like okay keep the lion king vibe you can do whatever you want and like throw in a couple (laughs) scenes just make sure like you got like mufasa simba scar But uh, yeah, that's uh, I um I guess as we're wrapping up here, I guess I want to talk about the violence and the gore because I thought that's what makes this movie so awesome. Like the Skarsgård role isn't as good if you don't have like the violence and gore that's attached to it and the commitment that goes to like his physicality here and him just absolutely slicing off people's heads with one strike. The as you said, the catching of the spear, the hurling it back. I feel like the finishes and like the savagery of this movie just paired so well with like Eggers' vision. It's like it, it needed to be this violent or else he couldn't pull it off completely. It had to be. If we're going this deep into this mythology, like, and we're going true to the like text, it had to do this. And I think it could have gone worse. It could have been worse, I think. I agree. Like, a even... lot worse, but they kind of cut some scenes away and they cut some kills away, but they show the aftermath. Like they definitely took it easy on us, or Eggers did. Um, and I honestly like I don't care really. I think it was gory enough. Um, but definitely the, I don't think it's like like some of the things they implied here, like the children and that the berserk with the berserkers. Like stuff like that. Like, Them like, shying oh, away from showing it. I was like, I was just like the camera turns. It just yes. like shows you how intense and how savage these people were. Right. Then the pillaging of the villages. I'm like, oh my god. Them dragging the women away. It was intense. Yeah. Intense. Right. So and I again that again the driving audience scores down. Like that's how you do that. 
Okay. Rotten Tomato, um, not the, right, the right, drive-in. Yeah, not the drive-in. I mean, like, Rotten Tomato. Oh, I thought you said the drive-in audience score. Oh, sorry. No. Um, the audience uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. They that, get turned score, off by it a little bit. Exactly. And that was in the first act of the movie. A yeah. lot of this wackiness was in the first act of the movie. I'm um, kind of setting you in this ninth century Icelandic Norwegian vibes. And definitely was a turnoff for some people, I bet. So I could totally see that. End of the day, um, the wacky stuff, not the stuff I just talked, we just talked about the gore. The wacky stuff turned me off a decent amount because it just confused me a lot. The hallucinations and things like that. Um, Seemed unnecessary to me. There's a lot of unnecessary hypnosis going on. And a lot of these visions weren't even necessary with it because the visions like were resulted from like other stuff. This was just like the show off. Oh, I did this research. Like, right. You know what I mean? But like the gore, the action sequences, the finishes, Skarsgård shirt off the most trapzilla pack. Like I, I, it was insane, dude. Like yeah. the depth of his abs and the traps. Like got to get that workout program. Somehow. I'm telling you, this is like that. the most yoked I've ever seen a non a human being. Screen. Like, <laughs> a human being. And the way insane. he walked is like he like made sure his traps. He was a more. bear. And he, he was, was a hunched bear. over the entire movie because he was so big. He's like, was, he's not a human. Yeah. Um, before we get into scores, I want you to rank the t- uh, the three Robert Eggers films. I want you to rank Lighthouse, Northman, and The Witch. Go ahead. Lighthouse still, I think. I'm in the same boat. Like, Lighthouse to me is like a mid-90s level movie. I, yeah, I think I would go Lighthouse 95, 94, 95. I'm hovering around the same area. And I'll just say for this one, I'll go 88. I, I think I I, I want to go in the nineties here, but I can't. The I, wackiness I had got to me. Tough to fall, tough to follow at times, but then you piece it together at the end. But that wasn't intentional. That like it was clearly not intentional. Um, right. And but at the end of the day, I love this movie. Uh, I I definitely think it's great to see in a theater. I definitely can see how people are turned off by it and why it's not doing great at the box office, especially when you have the Sonic Two second weekend here. The bad guys, critically acclaimed animated DreamWorks uh, picture with a huge cast doing very well. Like, and then you have well, I'm not Nick Cage. <laughs> I'm not seeing it in theaters. I'm just saying, like, the kids that were at the birthday party for Unbearable Way to Mass. They were probably those those kids were going to see the bad guys. Probably. Yeah, they they probably saw Sonic last week, and they probably saw that this week. So, yeah. um, 88 for me. I I literally had an 88. I, I I don't think it hits 90 yet. I think I think the the unnecessary like hypnosis like aspects of this movie kind of threw me off a little bit um scars guard though like he he helped the, i think he put this movie sort of on his back but also yes. he he had the great support also with the Correct. cast right but, but it was his move yeah i had it i i i have it below the uh, below lighthouse i will re-watch lighthouse and see like because i have it like 93 95 range if i can recall but he also has that Robert Eggers, Robert Eggers isms where it's like the hypnosis aspect and the parts where it throws off the audience. But I think it fits that movie better because it's a horror movie. You know, I feel like when you add that to this like action revenge thriller, it throws audiences off more and it doesn't fit as well. Yeah. And I'll just say this again, like this is Scarlet movie by a lot. And like we mentioned how this cast was awesome, but this cast, like, except like the brother, uh, his dad's brother, Claus Bang, Fjornar, like, and like Nicole Kim and Shore, but like all these movies, like all these people, like they had their core 
scenes in like one particular act, not throughout the movie. Ethan Hawke, first act, Nicole Kidman, third act, Klaus, third act mainly, right? Yep. Anya Taylor-Joy was like the only one that was like throughout all three acts, but very minor screen time compared to Skarsgård. Skarsgård mm-hmm. did carry this movie and more so than like, like Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time. I, I like in the camp where like Leo was incredible, deserved deservedly of an Oscar, but Brad Pitt like throughout the movie had a huge storyline. Antonio Joy did not have that same amount of screen time and presence like a Brad Pitt did in Once Upon a Time, and I'm only using that because I mentioned that earlier. Picked up heavy second half. Of the movie. Yeah, so again, Skarsgård, a lister, cements it now. He he is he has made a comeback from Legend of Tarzan eight years ago. He's here and he's going to be here for a while. All right. Save mother. Avenge father. Kill fuel in there. That's going to do it for our review of Robert Eggers, the Northman. And that's going to do it for our episode. All right. Uh, make sure you stay tuned with us this week. We have a lot of great podcasts hitting the feed, a lot of great content. Make sure you're uh, subscribed to the blog where we have our uh, instant reactions to uh, the Northman and unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, when it comes to pods this week, we have the checkup coming up uh, tomorrow, uh, dropping Tuesday. Wednesday, we have uh, a, dra- uh, a draft. Is that right, Ricky Flex? We do draft oh, yeah. Wednesday. Oh, yeah. And a draft of the most anticipated TV series left for 2022 in honor of Barry. That's dropping out, dropping this. Uh, well, when it dropped, when this episode comes out, yeah, it dropped Sunday. yesterday. Uh, we have. Under the Banner of Heaven, starring Andrew Garfield. And then we have The Offer, The God, the Making of the Godfather series, starring Miles Teller on Paramount+. Plus. We're going to be touching upon those series. Uh, and then Thursday, we got Moon Knight recap. Fasten your seatbelts, okay? Full steam ahead for the Drive-In podcast. This is Dr. Rowe and Ricky Flick signing off. Until next time, we will smell you.